It was many years ago that I sat in the tent or in the camp of deep in the bush of South Sudan, and I was trying to express the incredible emotions and feelings and, and joy and fulfillment that I was experiencing that I had never experienced before. And the title of the, of the journal entry was The Journey of Pain. And I, in, that, in that blog, I guess you will, I described the incredible pain of a journey that we did when we were in South Sudan, Africa, and uh, it was the rainy season, and so it was just, it had been raining like never before, and we had had so many times that our vehicle had gotten stuck, we ended up spending the night out in the vehicle in the bush overnight, and we finally, after literally two days of trying to just get back to camp, we said, all right, the Lord is leading us to go to this very, very remote village that had, did not have a copy of God's word, and the leader said, it's going to be a long journey. It's going, to, it's going to be a very difficult journey on foot. But we felt led to do it. And so we began to sludge through the mud. Our feet were blistered. We weren't equipped for this. Uh, we had blood streaming mixture with, with mud. And uh, it was a long, very painful journey. We got finally to the destination, to this village where there were hundreds of men and women and children eagerly there to greet us and to hear the gospel and to hear about Jesus and to hear the stories of God's word taught to them. And we did, and it was, it was just incredible. It was a great experience. And then on the way back, again, you, you know, you're exhausted. It's late, late into the late hours of night, and, and you have to make the journey all the way back, hours of walking and bleeding, and your feet are just shredded by the time you get back to the camp. And but we were singing, we were praising God, we were rejoicing in the midst of very real pain for this city boy. And it was a lot of pain, but at the same time, it was a lot of rejoicing and extraordinary joy, extraordinary fulfillment. When we got back to the camp, we found out later um, from some, some friendly uh, villagers that they said a rival village had heard us uh, near their village on the way to where we were going and were threatened by us and they stalked us all night and they had full intentions, this men from a rival village had full intentions to kill us, to ambush us and to kill us. And as it was relayed to us through an interpreter, they said, we do not know why they didn't. And we were like, well, God clearly uh, had his hand sparing us that night. So this journey was an extraordinary journey of pain, lack of, of safety and security. And it was a great cost. I don't want to romanticize it like it was just, it was, it was challenging, and as it often is uh, in situations like that. But at the same time, I still fight back getting choked up because it was such a rewarding, fulfilling, rejoicing time of great joy to the glory of God. And so today I invite you to join me on a journey that I would say is a journey of pain. We enter into a new unit of text that begins in chapter 9, verse 51 with these words. And Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
So in this unit of text, you have the beginning of Jesus heading to Jerusalem. What's in Jerusalem? His death, his crucifixion. It's a, it's a journey that he has chosen to take, to go, to give his life, to sacrifice not just his feet, to sacrifice everything, to be crucified on the cross so that his perfect blood might be spilled as the only acceptable payment for your sin. And for my sin. And so he was on the ultimate journey of suffering and pain in order to take the gospel to us. And this is who we say we are following when we say we are followers of Christ. And so today we will begin a 12-week journey between now and Palm Sunday when we celebrate on Palm Sunday the entering of Jesus into Jerusalem victoriously only to see on what we call Good Friday, he gives his life as a sacrifice on the cross. But praise God, on Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, he raises again from the grave. But today, we're going to begin that journey. And as we begin to look at a, a text today, chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, which has already been read for you, and not only in today, but in every day ahead for the next 12 weeks, if we want to be faithful... The way it's written, since it's one unit, we need to keep in mind the cross. We need to bring forward the cross that's 12 weeks away in our calendar and remember it each day as we study this text. So when Jesus says, follow me, we need to remember this journey ends in him giving his life for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. And so today we want to do that. We want to keep in mind the, the ultimate price that Jesus is going to pay at the end of this journey when we see three times in this text, follow me, follow me, follow me. And so in this text, the Lord is going to have three encounters with three would-be disciples. And he's going to make one point very clear. If you are going to follow me, really, it's going to be at great cost. Father, I ask for your help this morning that your spirit would move in our hearts, that you'd calm our minds, that you'd give us focus on your word, that we would hear with spiritual ears, and that we would see with spiritual eyes the point to follow you comes at great personal cost, but that you would show us you're worth it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, let's look at these three examples of these three individuals. The text is broken down by the three words follow. I'll follow. One person says, Jesus says, will you follow? And then someone else says, I'll follow. And so you break the text down with these three follows. And the first one comes in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, I like this guy. This is my guy. This is me. Like, hey, that sounds good. The dude just healed somebody. I'm with you, bro. Jesus, I'm in. I, I mean, whatever it takes. And he's like, wait a minute, eager beaver. You need to count the cost. This is my wife's role in my life. She says, wait a minute, eager beaver. Let's talk about this. So we aren't told who this person is. We aren't told where they came from. We're not told anything because why? It's not the point. When you read a text of scripture, you want to focus on what 
is the focus of the writer, of the author, of the God-inspired author. He wants you to focus on Jesus' response to this eager call. I'll follow you anywhere you go. I'm in. And what does Jesus say in his response? In verse 58, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. But me, Jesus says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What is Jesus saying to this person who has gotten excited for whatever reason, says, I'm in, I want to follow you, Jesus. He is saying, foxes don't have holes. I mean, foxes have holes. What is a hole to a fox? Yeah, it's a home. It's a, it's a place where they can retreat for safety, where they're protected from enemies, where they can rest and sleep. And it's a, it's a home. What is a nest? Same thing. It's where a bird... Little babies are growing up in the nest, and the mama goes out and gets the food and brings it back in. It's a place of safety and security and comfort. And Jesus says, really? Really, you want to follow me? Our first point is this. This first thing that we learn about the cost of following Jesus, what does it mean to take up your cross? Jesus began this little series saying, take up your cross, follow me. You're like, wait, take up your cross. Let me just pause for a minute and think about that. In, in modern day vernacular, I don't, I'm not trying to be inflammatory. I'm just trying to compare. It's like saying, hey, you want to follow Jesus? Okay, well, that means take up your electric chair. What? Take up the instrument of death. Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. Because Jesus is on his journey to the cross. If you're following Jesus to the cross, then take up your cross. It means suffering, it means self-denial, it means sacrifice, death to self, death in so many ways to self. And he says here, here's a first illustration of what it means, sacrifice the comforts of home. To follow Christ means, are you willing to sacrifice the comforts of home? Because Jesus says, I have no home, and if you're following me... And you should not presume that you're going to get to enjoy the blessings of home. So be willing to sacrifice the comforts of home. In, in the next section of text, tomorrow, uh, next Sunday, we'll be looking at Jesus sending out his 72. He sends them out. His disciples are sent out. The very phrasing is away from their homes. And they are to go with what in their hands? Nada. <laughs> Nothing. The very things that you say, well, if I'm going to Africa, I'm bringing this pillow. I don't care. I'm bringing this pillow because this is what makes me comfortable. And I will bring Tylenol PM if I'm sleeping in the jungle. It's going to happen. I don't care what goes down. I'm sleeping, right? There are things that we say, I will figure out a way to have comfort on this journey. And Jesus tells them in next, next week, no, you're going to go and don't take anything with you. So this idea of being willing to sacrifice the comforts of home is not just your place to lay your head. You're not going to be able to sleep in your bed tonight, though it may very well include that. It's the idea of comfort and all that sense of comfort in your life. It's the idea of safety. It's the idea of security. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you need to understand 
you got to release those things and say, are you willing to be uncomfortable, to take risks, to sacrifice that sense of security? Now, it's not a command. It's not a command that every single person who follows Christ has to sell their home and move to the overseas international missions. But I would say to you that if you're going to follow Christ and the overarching mission of Christ is to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, then it should very much be that you not be surprised if you feel the Lord saying, I want you to go on a short-term mission trip. I do want you to go on a journey that is very hard. I do want you to sacrifice your vacation time. I do want you to go on that to Panama I do want you to go to Tanzania. I do want you to go to Nairobi. I do want you to go to New Orleans. I do want you to do these things, though they cost you and they're hard. But that's just not who I am. Are you really going to say you're following Jesus and it doesn't involve getting uncomfortable and sacrificing our comfort and our safety and taking risks? And some, probably several, We'll hear the Lord call them out of our church. Full time, I'm going overseas. We've had several in our church. When we had like 50 people in this church, we had a team of eight called up and moved to New Orleans to start a church. And they're still there. Of, of the 13 churches that, were, that began that year, they're the only ones still there. That's some hard work. Maggie Hickson went to med school here and was called to Tanzania. And she shared a few weeks ago glorious stories of how God's using her to extend his grace in Tanzania. Matt and Angie Johnson are in Panama, carrying the gospel to Panama, helping us be able to connect with churches there that are ministering on the ground there and adopting people, families, orphans. To bless them. The Lewises in Nairobi. The Lewises, who are these people? Well, that's normal for them, right? They're missionaries. No, I knew them before. They were friends. We were all here together, friends. Their hand, they, she, helped the, she helped deliver our child. It was, it, they were nurses. And then he got extra education and became a hospital administrator. Then they ended up moving to Beaumont for a job. And the next thing I know, kind of lost touch with them, kind of lost track. And then... Next thing you know, I'm in the church world leading this church, and I get an email, pops on my email, and said, would you consider bringing your teams to Africa? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I know you, and you know me. We don't do Africa. We do golf at Eastridge. That's what we did. What in the world happened? And he moves his family to Africa. And he's asking me to lead trips to Africa. These people came up out of our church. And they're just like you. Good news, good news, hear me now. If you are called to Africa, if you are called to Panama, if you are called to New Orleans, if you are called to help us start another church in Shreveport in a neighborhood that's not where you grew up or not where you are living now, it will be because you want to go. Did you hear that? 
God will give you the desire to go. He doesn't take people to Africa because they don't want to go. Because I promise you, if that's how they go, they're going to come back soon. He gives you the hunger. He gives you the love for people. He gives you love for the gospel. He gives you a calling the desires of your heart if you're constantly working on your heart, if you're constantly going up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John and sitting at the feet of Jesus and beholding his glory. So he will likely call many of you to full-time missions, ministry, out of the normal context. I don't even like that language, but you get the point. Out of the normal context of your work, because that is your full-time mission as well and your family. But we need to understand you got to be willing to sacrifice the comfort, safety, security, if you're going to follow Jesus. So here's the question. Is your obsession with safety? Is your obsession with comfort? Is your obsession with security hindering you from fully obeying Jesus? I hope this week you'll answer that question. You'll ask that question in two ways. That every day between now and the time your community group meets, that you'll sit alone with Jesus and you'll ask that question, is my obsession with comfort, safety, and security hindering my obedience, Lord? And then you'll discuss that with your group, your community group this week. If you're not a member, then you'll find someone to say, let's talk about this. Let's challenge you, encourage each other, and we invite you to connect with us. We help you do that. In other words, Lord, is do I need to give up a little golf to be a better spouse? Do I need to play a little less tennis to be there for my kids? Do I need to be willing to sacrifice some vacation times to go on a short-term mission trip? Do I need to be more generous to meet needs and to, to honor you with my money than to buy that next car I've been dying to get? Lord, am I more concerned with my comfort or my safety or my security than I am obeying you? If you're going to follow Jesus, you've got to be willing to sacrifice the comforts of home. Next we see if we're going to follow Jesus, we've got to be willing to sacrifice control. Oh, my word. Seriously, do we have to start the new year out this way? Couldn't we have been in some fluffy passages? But no, we went from comforts to control. Sacrifice the control of the calendar. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to be willing to sacrifice your own control over your own calendar. Look what he says in verse 59 to another. He said, hey, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first, let me first get my affairs in order. Let me first what? He says, let me first bury my father. Is that bad? I mean, Jesus says, honor your father and mother, and surely that includes a burial for your father. Surely that includes this and And Jesus is intentionally saying, let me take this as far as I can. Let me rock your world. Let me be inflammatory. Let me make this point clear. I am numbero uno in your life. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own. Let the spiritually dead put that ahead of me. But those who are alive in Christ will put me first. As for you, number one is Do what I said, and I told you, go proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Sounds harsh. Now, we've got to remember the way this is written. This is intentionally making a point. It's not telling you you can't, do, you can't take care of your honoring your father and mother. You can't take care of your responsibilities. But it's saying intentionally, let me hit on the things that you might think are okay. And I'm going to challenge you to think, wait a minute. Jesus is supreme in my life. We saw on the mountain he is supreme. And now the question is, is he supreme in our lives so Luke has given us wisdom as we think about how we order our lives and what it means to follow Christ. This answer, this one, when he said, follow me, his response wasn't, okay, absolutely, what do you want me to do? His response was, well, let me first fill in the blank. What is that for you? I'll follow Jesus anywhere, but let me first Make enough and have it set aside for retirement where I'm comfortable and I'm safe and I'm secure. And then I'll say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, but first, let me get these kids raised. And when I get where Tracy and Dana are and they're off at school and they're living the good life, then I'll get serious. It is good, I ain't gonna lie. Let me first. Jesus has no sacrifice control of the calendar to me now. Jesus wants to be in control of your calendar. He wants to be in control of your to-do list. Jesus wants to take out your phone, your app, and touch on Google calendars and see what you got today and say, wait, let's rearrange that. Or let me add this. Or that right there, I don't think that's priority Again, as a follower of Christ, Christ who what? Who suffered and died on the cross so that we could have eternal life by trusting in him. If we're saying we're following him, surely we understand that means sacrifice is going to be involved. That we can't just be doing whatever we think we want to do and have Jesus. If you have, okay, so let's say, let's put you in a parent role again and say, all right, your kid is back in the room watching Netflix on their comfy, cozy bed. Let's say they're driving age. This is all hypothetical. This would never happen in my house. And, and, and you say, hey, would you run down to CVS and pick up some shredded cheese for, for dinner? Like, yeah, but let me first finish Netflix. I'm mean, like, Seriously? You're going to let this comfortable home and room and Netflix that I'm paying for keep you from doing what I'm asking you to do? That's what Jesus is saying. I bought your life with my life. And you're going to let your agenda, your comforts that I've provided you keep you from doing the very thing that I'm asking you to do? And we do it all the time. Are we willing to sacrifice control of our calendar? Again, let's get very practical this week. I pray that as so you see what's in the presumption of these applications, I'm presuming that you're meeting and spending time with Jesus every morning, sitting in his presence, beholding his glory, like we saw last week with Peter, James, and John were doing, because we said that if we're not doing that, we won't do this. If we're not beholding his glory in the morning, we're not going to let him adjust our calendars. Why would we? He isn't anything special or important. He's no big deal. But when we see who he is, 
This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him, God said. Then we say, okay, here's my calendar. Are you pleased? What would you have me do? So this week, take your calendar in your quiet time and open it up after you've spent time with Jesus and you've done the best you can. Remember, it's not because you're all great at having a quiet time. Peter, James, John were dozing off saying things that didn't really weren't impressive. Luke's saying he didn't know what he was talking about. But then God graciously said, I'm going to give you a glimpse of my glory. So just, you do your best, try to spend time with Jesus. You may feel like a total failure, but then you grab your calendar, open it up, and sit there and place it at, at the feet of Jesus and say, are you pleased with this? And I think the first thing he's going to say is, well, let's block out the beginning of each day some time with me and put that in a color that stands out that says, this is a non-negotiable and then he's going to look down the list and he's going to say, all right, everything you've got here, do it in a way that honors me and glorifies me. And hey, let's make some time for a date night with your spouse if you're married. Let's make some time here for a father-daughter or father-son time. Let's make some time here with your family. Let's make time some here. There are kids in Shreveport who don't have anybody helping them with their homework. And, and you, I know you're really good at that. So let's put some time here to, to serve others Let's take some time that's not just about you building your kingdom. Let's adjust the calendar. Are you willing to sacrifice control of your calendar? Well, that's what it takes if you're going to follow Jesus. Finally, we've seen sacrifice the comforts of home, sacrifice control of your calendar. Finally, are you willing to sacrifice the closeness of family? Okay, seriously? I mean, he's just hitting every place that you would say, yeah, I'll follow you, but maybe not that, that, and that. Those all just seem like you shouldn't even ask that. I mean, you shouldn't even ask me to sacrifice closest to my family, right? Verse 61, yet another one said, hey, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me do this. See how it happens again? See these little conditional clauses? See these little fine print? I'm all in, but... Let me first say farewell to those at my home. Is there anything wrong with that? If you're going to go on a mission trip or you're, you're a graduate of school and you're going to be a two-year journeyman going to an incredible experience of sharing the gospel and being on mission for two years, is there anything wrong with saying I'm going to go tell my family goodbye? Absolutely not. Unless Jesus says not to. Will he say not to? I doubt it. But you get the point. If he did, he's first. Let me first say farewell to those at my home. But first, but first. Yeah, I'll follow you, but first. That doesn't work. Jesus says, no, 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 no. What do we try to teach our kids? What is it called? First time obedience, right? How's that go for you? It's a long journey. Well, God's saying it's a long journey with you too, Tracy. First time obedience. I mean, I'll do that, but first let me take care of some things that are important to me. No. You do what I said. So look at verse 62, how Jesus responds. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So again, this text is giving us wisdom, giving us wisdom for what it means to follow Christ. It's three examples of of illustrations of the sacrifice, the cost that is demanded. 
They're not specific to you that you have to sell your home, that you have to not bury your father, and you have to do these things that you can't say goodbye to your family. That's not the point. The point is, are you willing to put obedience first? And this last response kind of helps us kind of bring it all together. No one who puts his hand to the plow looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what it's like when you're plowing. No, we don't have any clue what it's like when we're plowing. But I do know what it's like to mow a yard. I had my summer job every year, loved it, made a killing mowing yards. I would throw that lawnmower in the back of my trunk because I didn't have a truck or a trailer, and it would sit like this, and the gas would flow into my trunk. But it was good. And I'd get there, the, pull out the mower and the edger. Yeah, we had edgers back then. We didn't weed eat it. We edged it. And I learned that as I'm mowing, my goal was a straight line. Anybody else like that? Like, I got to have a straight line when I'm mowing and I learned that you got to fix your eye on a fence post or whatever's up there, a tree or something, and you got to keep your eye on that, and that's the only way to get a straight line. If you're trying to get a straight line and you're looking down at the line, you don't realize you're slightly getting off. But especially if, as he says, you're looking back to see how straight your line is, it's not straight. And what he is saying is, that if anything, if you fix your eyes on Jesus and Jesus says, this is what I want for you and your life is aligned and fixated on obedience to Jesus, but then you start looking over here to say, but, but wait, what about, what about this? Then it's going to cause you to veer away from Jesus and obedience and holiness and the will of God. That is not acceptable. You see, here's the problem. God's gifts become God's in our life. God's gifts, safety, security, comfort, control, calendar, tasks, the ability to organize and plan and be effective and and, and good at all that, God's relationships, family, closeness with family, all those are gifts. But... The moment that they cause us to veer off the path of obedience to Jesus, we got a problem. So I ask you, is there a problem in your own life? I love what J.D. Greer says. Let's put our yeses on the table today. Will you do that with me? Will you just say, yep, I'm going to put my yes on the table. Not my yes but or my yes if. I'm going to put my yes on the table. Each morning that you get along with Jesus, begin with that. Lord Jesus, yes is on the table. Here's my calendar. What do you want me to do? Here's my checkbook. What do you want me to do? Here's my to-do list. How do you want to change it? My yes is on the table I am here, I am fixated on you, I'm not going to veer off course, I'm not looking back, I'm not questioning, I'm not saying but, I am focused on obedience to you. My yes is on the table, what do you want me to do? That's what we need to do. Why would you do that? Because he's worth it. And because it is worth it. Yeah, it's real cost, it's real sacrifice, it's real pain, it's really hard, it's really scary, it takes a risk, especially if you're a control person and you're like, whoa. But, like when I was walking through the jungles of Africa, the bush of Africa, when I got back, man, 
I wouldn't have traded it for anything. And the same is when you follow Jesus. It's worth it. Did I already tell you the story about when I was at seminary and they said, if you think you might plant a church? Did I tell you that today? I told it in the earlier service. I didn't want to tell you all twice. I'd be like, what? So I was at seminary. And they said, hey, if you think you might plant a church, come tomorrow, free lunch, and you'll learn all of They've got someone, guest speaker, coming and tell you about church. And I said, nah, well, no thank you. I will never do that. You have no idea what the Lord's going to lead you to do. The question is, before you even know, is your yes on the table? It's worth it. Father God, we just praise you that you don't call us kicking and screaming against our will, making us do something that's terrible. Yeah, there's sacrifice, but we thank you that you are worth it, that it is worth it, that there is no greater joy No greater time of rejoicing than walking in the path that you have set before us, carrying out the deeds that you have prepared for us in 